From Gimlet, you're listening to Startup, the podcast about what it is really like to start a business. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Lisa Chow. This is episode four. And this season, we're following Dating Ring, a company that's trying to combine matchmaking and technology to bring a personal touch to online dating. And just as a warning, there is explicit language in this episode. And Lisa, you're in the studio in New York. I'm in a hotel room in Minneapolis. That's how we do it, through the magic of radio. (laughs) And just to bring you up to speed, in the last episode, Lauren Kay, one of Dating Ring's founders, had run into a fundraising wall where investors had pretty much stopped writing checks. But then Lauren was at a conference for women startup founders, and she heard a key piece of advice from a woman named Marin Nelson. Marin was a startup founder herself, and she told the group, your pitch deck, your investor strategy, all of that is a side issue. Here's the most important thing you need. You have to know that what you are doing is good and that it needs to exist in the world, because if you know that, then you are already setting yourself apart, because very few people actually know that what they're doing is great. For Lauren, this was something of an epiphany. And I was like, oh, wow, what great advice. But I didn't have a great product that everyone was raving about. A a big hurdle for us with fundraising was that our product wasn't at the stage that we really believed in it. That was the last episode. And to kick off this episode, I wanted to get a sense of what stage exactly Dating Ring's product was at. So I asked Emma Tesler, Lauren's co-founder, to read some of the user comments they were getting around this time. I'm holding pages, pages of negative comments. Um, Okay. My quote-unquote date never showed up. I have been emailing Emma and no one has gotten back to me. This whole thing has been very frustrating. I want my money back if this doesn't get resolved. I don't mean this as an indictment of Jane, but that date was horrible. Given that I spent 30 minutes chatting with you all before and spent $20 to be matched with someone, it felt especially like a scam. In short, Jane was just about everything I said I was not interested in. No physical attraction, no personal attraction. I definitely would have paid $50 to get that hour back. Oh, here's a good one. Because they're caps. You guys have one more chance to impress me. There are hundreds of comments like this. And today, we find out why Dating Ring's customers were so unhappy, what Lauren and Emma tried to do to fix the problems, and how they had to travel through a very sad but iconic startup state of mind to do that. It's not easy. Stone Creek is just not a good place for gay dates. It's basically in Kipps Bay. Come on. No self-respecting gay person wants to hang out in a dive bar in Kipps Bay. Imagine the scenario. Hey, guys. OMG, want to go to a dive bar in Kipps Bay? Said no one ever. <laughs> My date was the furthest thing from a match. To be totally honest, going on a bad date is In the months after graduating from Y Combinator, the startup school in Silicon Valley, if an accountant were to review Dating Ring's books, she wouldn't have liked what she saw. Revenue, which wasn't very high to begin with, was declining. And they were burning through cash. And they were trying to build this company that Lauren had pitched on Demo Day. You may remember this line from her pitch, probably because we've played it almost every episode. Dating should work like Uber. (laughs) And with Dating Ring... It does. What we were pitching at Demo Day was this this app where you could request a date and get a date that night. The idea was with the click of a button, you get a message from Dating Ring with the first name of the person you're going to go on the date with, all the details about where you were going to go and when to show up. 
that night. Dating Ring would take care of all the details for you, finding out if the other person was free, making reservations at the restaurant for the two of you. But Emma told other Lisa, Lisa Pollock, our producer, that that was how it was supposed to work. It was very tangible that that's not what was going on. We, we at that point in time, couldn't give people a date they wanted that night. We could do on-demand dates, like, two weeks in advance. Um, you can call your Uber to take you to the airport and your trip two yeah. weeks from now. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. But not, while you're but not yeah. like, to take you home when you're drunk. Right. Um, which is really when you need it. <sighs> It started to feel really weird that we were advertising ourselves to this company that we weren't and we didn't see us turning into anytime soon. Part of the problem was that being the company they were advertising themselves as was really hard. Because more than being a matchmaking company, they were essentially trying to be a scheduling company, coordinating the calendars of the people they were trying to set up, finding a venue that worked for both of these people. It was a logistical nightmare. Here's Emma. I would email, like, Joe, and Joe would be like, I'm busy on Thursday. And I'd email Jim, and Jim would never respond. And I'd email Sam, and Sam would be like, I'm gay. You have me in the system mislisted. Something, you know? And all of that back and forth takes a really long time. So what you want to do is you want to email a group of people. Many nights, Emma was at work when one of the matchmakers would call out something like, Uh, Amy, who I was building a date for, who we invited 46 guys for, just canceled. But three of the guys we invited said, yes, do you have any women that we could put with them? And then we'd all be like, oh, Amy, so annoyed. And then we'd like go back to our computers. And the customers were annoyed as well. Remember, the premise of Dating Ring is that you sign up and you can request a date with someone you'd be well matched with. But Emma told other Lisa, that because Dating Ring was so new and their dating pool was so small, not everyone could do that very basic thing, request a date. 21-year-old guys couldn't request dates because we didn't have enough eligible people that we felt we could guarantee them. Women didn't want to date younger guys. Ah, okay. Um, Same thing with 41-year-old women, right? We didn't have enough older men, and so we couldn't guarantee a 41-year-old woman a date. So she, we could invite her on one, but she couldn't request one and lock it in. Like she'd have to wait till you found the match. Correct. And how long would some people wait? Forever. You mean like they never? Eternity. They, we, we, some people never heard from us. Oh. Yeah, if we didn't find mattresses for them, we weren't going to send them on crappy dates. But for every person who never heard from Dating Ring, there are plenty of people who are hearing from them all the time. If you were a 30-year-old man, say, or a 25-year-old woman, Dating Ring was constantly contacting you, trying to send you out on a date. Because remember, they made money from dates, 40 bucks every time two of the clients went out with each other. And so for these demographics, Dating Ring had become the company version of that person who can't take a hint, keeps asking you out, even if you don't want to go. Here's Eva Billick, one of Dating Ring's matchmakers at the time. The messages that I was getting were just not great. Like, you sent me up with a guy last week who I hated, so no thanks, or you guys are crazy, don't ever contact me again, or no fucking way, I went out four dates last week, I'm done. (laughs) I just remember being like, okay, I think everyone's a little tapped out. I was like, wow, this is a mess. This is a nightmare. Here's Lauren, Dating Ring's CEO. I would see people constantly canceling last minute, Uh, people had bad dates, and then we'd have to refund both parties, even though we had just done 
$100 at least of, of work to set the date up. Most services, if people have a bad time, you refund them. And with dating, that happens a lot more than in other industries. So that wasn't going to work. On top of all of this, Dating Ring was burning through cash. They had about 10 months of runway before they would be completely out of money. Emma said she kept thinking things would turn around with fundraising, but that wasn't happening. So getting people on dates, that was their only source of money. And so I'd go back to the office and I'd say, you know, I'd try to be like kind of stern. I'd say like, okay, it's really important that we hit these numbers. It's it's mandatory. And last week it was, you know, 20 dates and we only got 11 out. But but this week we got to hit 40. Here's Eva, the matchmaker you heard from before. We'd be in the office till million o'clock at night trying to send people out on dates and it felt impossible. You know, they were kindly saying to me, this is not possible. We can't do this. One thing that made fixing all these problems so hard is that Lauren, the CEO, was burnt out. All the rejection from investors had triggered a period of depression that's common among startup founders. So common that it's been given a name, the trough of sorrow. Paul Graham, the founder of Y Combinator, is credited with coming up with the term trough of sorrow. It describes that time in a company's life when the first adrenaline rush of starting your company has worn off. And you realize nobody really likes what you're selling. You don't have users. You've put months of work into something that's just not working. And there's no telling if it will ever work. Here's Lauren. I just tumbled and tumbled and tumbled until I hit rock bottom. And I was just sitting at my computer, my fingers resting on my keyboard. And it was one of the first times I was working with employees who started working for Dating Ring, I was watching them work. And I was thinking, wow, I'm a useless person. I'm supposed to be the CEO. They haven't worked around me before, and I'm just staring, like, doing nothing. Amidst all this fundraising rejection and all the money woes, Lauren essentially shut down. She says there was a two-week period in there where she barely left her house. And as much as the trough of sorrow sucks... There's sort of camaraderie among people who have been through this experience. No, I survived the trough of sorrow t-shirts. But for all of the chest-puffing confidence in the startup world, when you bring up the phrase trough of sorrow, people are ready to spill their guts. Being in the trough of sorrow feels like, uh, I don't know, you know the word. It, it's like you're a failure, you're a loser, you're a fraud. And name every other bad adjective that you can pile onto your name and then throw in there, mix it all up with no money, you know, founders fighting, all the stuff that happens. Last week, we sent out a call over Twitter for a listener trough of sorrow stories. And a lot of you called in to share yours. Imagine running a marathon, finishing, and then someone saying, you have to run the marathon again. I would say that I'm in it right now. It's a really uh, bleak picture. It is just feeling like it would be so much easier to just quit and go on with normal life rather than to persist. And so you're just completely doubting yourself and wondering, what am I doing? I think the hard part with talking about it is that like people don't know about it. The trough of sorrow feels a little bit like that womp womp moment in a TV show. That classic... Like, womp womp. It's like a dying sound. That would be the sound. 
What makes the trough of sorrow so hard is you really don't know how to interpret it. Companies that fail go through the trough of sorrow, but companies that succeed do too. I talked to one guy who said his trough lasted years, and then last year, he sold his company for a billion dollars. You might have heard of it. It's called Twitch TV. And if the trough of sorrow weren't bad enough, Dating Ring was about to get another piece of bad news. Katie, a co-founder and the company's tech whiz, had decided to leave the team. Her ambitions didn't exactly match Dating Ring's reality. Since they hadn't met their fundraising goal, they didn't have the money to hire the kind of engineering staff Katie wanted to manage. And with Katie's departure, Dating Ring wasn't just losing a co-founder. One of Katie's relatives had invested $100,000 in the company. Lauren thought it was only fair to give that money back in good faith. So just like that, in the midst of all their other financial troubles, their runway was cut in half. Coming up, Dating Ring takes some radical steps to turn things around, with the help of a very special match. That's after these words from our sponsor. We were riding so high with this startup from the moment that it was founded. But it hasn't been so thrilling lately. Now we're feeling grounded. Yesterday was better than today, which will likely be better than tomorrow. Disillusionment is setting in. We're in the trough of sorrow. 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 Hello, and welcome back to Startup. So when we left off, Lauren, one of the founders of Dating Ring, was in the trough of sorrow, the dreaded place where startup founders sometimes find themselves. And while she was there, she made a big decision to stop fundraising, stop meeting with investors, and instead help her co-founder, Emma, tackle all the chaos she'd been dealing with. Emma and Lauren agreed the company wasn't working. And so they decided to put it on pause while they figured out how to fix it. But to get them through this time, they needed money. They had employees to pay, an office. They needed a stopgap measure to help keep the company alive. And so they decided to start what they called a premium service. Whereas in their old model, one-on-one dates were 20 bucks a person. Premium dates would be $125 a person. Lauren explained to other Lisa, Lisa Pollack, you did get more for that price. The main difference is that we're spending a lot more time. We're talking with each of their potential matches via Skype. Um, we often will like look at specific venues that are a good neighborhood for them or where they'll like look really good to their date. And often we're personally recruiting for them. If I had been in that meeting and you had said, you know, we're going to go from charging twenty dollars to one hundred and twenty five, mm-hmm. I would have said, like, that's crazy. If they're not paying for it at twenty, why would they pay for it at one twenty five? Was there any part of you that feared that that was true? Um, well, the thing was that we were making so little money that, yeah, if we raised the rate by a multiple six, we could lose eighty percent of the work that needed to be done by matchmakers and still be making more money. And we had people saying, like, we'll pay more, just be able to guarantee me a date. I I thought, sure, maybe only two or five people will pay for this. And then we're going to have to figure something else out. 
But 40 or 50 people signed up in the first week. We made more money in that week than we'd had the month before. Thanks to this new premium service, Dating Ring had enough revenue to keep their heads above water while they executed their much more radical plan, a complete shutdown, overhaul, and relaunch of their core business. First came the shutdown. From June through September of 2014, Emma and her team essentially stopped making matches for everybody but premium members. And that meant that the vast majority of Dating Ring's customers just stopped getting sent out on dates. Without much fanfare, Dating Ring pressed pause on the bulk of their operation. And during that pause, they hunkered down and tried to figure out how to make their service better. The first step was sending a survey to all their users. And the next step was using the results of that survey to finally launch the tech product that they've been promising since their YC days. But to understand how they were going to build the tech product after their tech co-founder had left, there's someone else you have to meet. Lauren's boyfriend, Craig. I didn't remember his name the next time we talked. (laughs) I remembered yours. Well, there were like four women there. That's fair. They met at Y Combinator. The ratio was definitely in my favor. Yes. I'm in Lauren and Craig's apartment. They have a three-legged cat named Legs. (laughs) She runs up and bites much bigger creatures. That's why she's missing a leg. We agreed on the name pretty quickly, though. For most of her time at YC, Lauren barely knew Craig existed. He was a shy guy, a computer engineer, but he had a plan for how to get Lauren's attention. Then what happened was I thought I was being really funny by by taking a series of photos. And it was like, I was in all of those photos. (laughs) He went and photobombed them, eight photos in a row. His face just comes up directly behind me, just grinning in all of them, looking like a creepster. Why did you do that? Because it was funny. And? Because I liked him. <laughs> they started dating. And four months later, after Dating Ring had lost Katie, its only tech person, Lauren asked Craig if he'd come on the payroll to help build her company's technology. He thought it was a great idea. Once we started, and we're like, okay, we've got to get this done in like two months, it was literally just didn't stop until it was done. Our bedroom wall was just all post-its of what the product would look like. When I was falling asleep, I'd always have at least like eight ideas and things I want to remember. So I just tell Craig, like, please remember these for me. That was the most fun part of our relationship. Because, like, what do you do, you know, with your time? Like, you watch TV, you go to dinner. Like, we had something to do all the time that was really, really challenging and fun because it was, like, our thing that we got to build. The site they were building, while falling in love, was guided by the results that Dating Ring had gotten when it surveyed its users. One of those results in particular was a little hard for Emma and Lauren to swallow. Emma and Lauren had thought of Dating Ring as the antidote to traditional online dating sites. Those traditional sites encourage people to be superficial, to judge potential partners based on a picture and a couple lines about their likes and dislikes. Emma and Lauren wanted Dating Ring to move beyond that superficial stuff and connect people on a deeper level. And so they'd had this rule from the beginning, no pictures. It's not that Emma and Lauren didn't believe physical attraction was important. They just didn't think you could know whether you were attracted to someone based on a still photo. So when you signed up for Dating Ring, you didn't see the pictures of the people you'd be dating. You just showed up for a date, and there they were. But the survey uncovered a major problem with the system. Everyone wanted pictures, and they all wanted it so badly. It was truly that we just couldn't ignore what our users wanted so blatantly. And so we added pictures. 
They also stopped arranging the dates for their customers. And so they let their customers pick their own times to meet and their own restaurants to go to. In other words, they became less about providing the perfect blind date for their customers and more like the sites they had started in opposition to. It definitely sucked to have to add features that made us more like other sites and that also allowed people to be more superficial. We were constantly asking ourselves, like, where where do we place our, our personal morals and values? And, and how do we use those to inform business decisions? And at the end of the day, we decided, well, if we can make it as a company and be a giant company run by women that cares about people and cares about making a difference, then we can try to fix problems and we can have a voice in the dating world. But right now, while we're losing money, if we try to be the most politically correct unicorn and rainbowy place, we're never going to get out of our basement. We're never going to be able to pay ourselves. All through the summer, they built the technology. For the users, it better integrated with Facebook. And for the matchmakers, it automated a lot of the stuff that matchmakers had been doing manually, making sure that potential matches were grouped properly according to sexual orientation, age, and location. And then on October 6, 2014, Dating Ring sent out a newsletter to the thousands of clients on its email list. Subject line, the new Dating Ring is alive. Here was something we'd been working on for two months that was just layouts and, and test pages. And all of a sudden, it was like a real live breathing product that people were using. I know. Do you have this fear, like, when you throw a party, you know, <laughs> that no one will come? Up? Yeah. Did you have any of that fear? Yeah, of course. And I was watching as their profiles came in, and people started flooding the site. For the first day, we were getting, like, 30 people an hour. I mean, more people than we could review. And it felt so cool as if we were, like, building a Lego castle and then, like, the castle is real life and you stepped into fantasy land. Oh, it became real when the people showed up. Yeah. We finally, after all this time, had a dating app that we were managing. And people showed up for the party. Finally, Dating Ring had become the company they had wanted to become, a company that actually mixed matchmaking with technology. It had taken them a year and a half just to get to that point, to get to be up and running. But to get to that next level, to be successful, that would be a whole nother story. Coming up on the next episode of Startup. Everyone else in the bar emptied out, and they, I don't think, had looked up from each other's faces the entire time, just like beaming, smiling. I was like, oh, I could quit tomorrow, and this would have been so worth it, this whole job. And that's coming up on the next episode of Startup. This episode was reported, edited, and produced by Lisa Pollock, Caitlin Roberts, and Fia Bennett. Also, a very special thanks to those who shared their Trough of Sorrow stories. Ada Bernier, Jerry Bolander, Andrew Chen, Walter Chen, Michael Del Charco, Lauren Dillard, Andy Holtz, Ryan Masuga, Tosh Wong, and a special thanks to Matt Farley, who wrote and performed our Trough of Sorrow song. 
The startup website was designed in partnership with Athletics. Mark Phillips wrote and performed our theme song. Build Buildings wrote and performed our special ad music. The Reverend John Delore mixed the episode. And speaking of John Delore, season two of Startup features brand new original music written and performed by him, along with his bandmates, Jordan Scanella, Sam Merrick, Isamu McGregor, John Ledeau, and Dominic Falacaro. Their band name, hotmoms.gov. That is their name, not their website. I'd also like to give a special plug today to two other Gimlet shows, one that is already up and running, Reply All, a show about the internet. And this week's Reply All episode is about a guy named Shulam Dean who was ultra-religious until he bought a computer. One of the things that came with the computer was a 3.5 floppy disk, a free AOL trial. So I put in this floppy disk and it says you know, welcome, you've got mail, and there's this whole world, there's news, there's shopping, there's chat rooms. Installing AOL led Shulam on a path that cost him his kids and made him an exile. This week, how the internet might help him find his way back home. Definitely go to iTunes and subscribe. Reply All, a show about the internet. The other very special news is that in just a week, our brand new third show from Gimlet, Mystery Show, launches. If you haven't already, you can go to the iTunes store and subscribe to Mystery Show. There is a very special trailer there for your listening pleasure. First episode drops next week. I have heard the trailer and it is awesome. To subscribe to the Startup Podcast, go to iTunes and subscribe to Startup or check out the Gimlet Media website, gimletmedia.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Podcast Startup. You can follow me at Apex Lumberg. You can follow Lisa at Lisa E. Chow. I'm Alex Bloomberg. And I'm Lisa Chow. See you on the next episode of Startup. Startup.